I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Hornady Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Seth Wurzik. Thanks for tuning in on this episode. And on this episode, March 8th, 0308, the 308, we're going to talk about America's cartridge, the 6.5 Creedmoor. Nah, I'm just kidding. We got to talk about the 308, the 308 Winchester and all of its legacy. And to do so, a familiar face and voice across the table, project engineer, Miles Neville. And then beside him, a new face, a new voice, but an incredible depth of knowledge here. All things Hornady and all things shooting. We have the lead ballistics lab technician, Matt George. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. No trouble. Thanks. Yes. So, like I alluded to, we got to talk about the 308. And jokingly, I had to make a reference to the 6.5 Freedmore because that's, you know, I feel like there are 800 different articles about 6.5 Creedmoor versus 308. Well, they're all great, and the 308's great for a lot of reasons. So I wanted to get you guys on here just to just to uh, shoot the breeze about the 308 Winchester. Let's take a little bit of a dive. Let's look at some of its history, some of its development, what its use case was, what it's used for currently, maybe what we've all used it for. Because, I mean, quite frankly for me, my first introduction to long-range shooting which quickly became, you know, a, my passion in life was with a 308 Winchester. So, uh, to rewind it, well, how far back do we have to go to start looking at what became the 308 Winchester? You look far back. Pretty much uh, every great cartridge usually has an origin of the military. Yeah. So the military, they're pretty fixed on what they use. So the 308 was all stemmed from World War II. The end of World War II, we had Pretty much Europe destroyed, you know, all these countries just beat up by years and years of battle. Right. So what we moved on to was you have all these treaties that are signed by all these different nations that uh, you have the allies, you know, they're, they're forming their, their treaties. They're uh, just kind of grouped together saying, we're never going to let this happen again. Yeah. Good plan. Yep. Yep. Ideally. And, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, going back to World War One, they had these, these same sort of... Uh, uh, mutual assistance type things, what they did. Well, what came out of World War II was NATO. Uh, you hear NATO a lot when you look at bullet calibers, different cartridges. You have the 9mm NATO, you have the 5.56, you have the 308, which is then the 7.62. Uh, what that is, that's just a way of all these countries coming together, but having one standardized cartridge. So uh, our ammunition will fit in their rifles. Their rifles oh. can work with our ammunition. Now that makes sense. Mm. Yep. Yep, and that's that's more than small arms ammunition. That's that's everything. Just you know, from our bombs will fit on your plane to our electrical plugs will fit into your tank. Stuff like that. Whoa, gets deep. Yep. Okay, yep. that was that was more than yep. I it's, was expecting. Yep, it's an all all based off these these things called stanags. These are standardization agreements. So you have all these countries that that uh, they say, hey, look at this. We'll we'll consider this for adoption. So uh, after World War II, you have all these countries that are saying, hey let's look at these, let's develop this and see if we can find a cartridge that everybody's going to be happy with. Yeah. So uh, immediately following World War II, we had, we had the 30 out six, you know, the storied 30 out six. Yeah. Now that, I guess you could call America's mm -hmm. cartridge. Yep. But. Yep. You had the, the M1 Grand, which America had used since, you know, developed in the thirties, you know, clipped in 1945. But by the end of 1945, it's starting to get a little long in the tooth. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a big, long rifle, 24 inch barrel. Heavy recoil. Heavy recoil. And it's just a big round of ammunition. Mm -hmm. 
you look at what came out at the end of the of World War II, you have stuff like the uh, the SDG 44. You know, you have these, you know, the, the birth of the assault rifle. You know, you find, you know, in big open terrain, the M1 Grand's great, but you get into these close combat or close quarters type situations and, you know, clearing cities and towns, a big long rifle is not ideal. Right. So that was kind of the birth of the, the intermediate cartridge. Yeah. So looking into the intermediate cartridges, the British developed the 280 British, a seven millimeter thing, which was just kind of, uh, if you look at it, it's like, yeah, you look at it, it's, that's a nice modern looking cartridge. Uh, the 30-06, it's really long, but... You know, let's scale this down a little bit. That way you have a smaller cartridge, yeah. you have a smaller rifle. Right. And the 300 Savage mm-hmm. was out at this time as yeah, well yeah. already. And the, and the 300 Savage, it came out in about, uh, I want to say the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 Savage, it's a good cartridge. You know, we've, we've loaded it in the past and it's, uh, I think one of the first guns that it came out with was like the Savage 99. Right. Um, but we also have, in, in our own lab, we have a, a Remington Model 8. Which is a neat little semi-automatic yeah, browning that, design. I, probably one of the mm-hmm. first commercially available yep. semi-automatic yeah. sporting rifles. Yep, and it's it's a great cartridge for a semi-automatic rifle, but it's it's really not much more powerful than thirty thirty. It's maybe two hundred feet per second faster. Okay, so we needed to bridge that mm-hmm. gap between thirty yep. six mm-hmm. and thirty thirty. Yep, yep. You need to bring in new technology. So thirty six, you know, being developed, you know, uh, for the M1 Garand, it it even stems back to World War One, where you have just you know, a lot of guys shooting these big, long rifles and expected to shoot, you know, a thousand yards, maybe. It's not likely ever going to happen in battle. Right. Certainly not in those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of that late 1800s, early 1900s mm-hmm. theory that, that military rifles were going to have engagements out to 2,000 meters, you know, and you see it on the sites. All the sites are calibrated for these ridiculous yard lines, and then it mm-hmm. turns out everybody fights at like 300 yards and then. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, in, in looking at these new cartridges and new weapon designs, uh, you had the British with, with the, two, uh, the uh, 280 British, and then the Americans brought out, uh, you know, something based off of the 300 Savage, which it, it more or less turned into just be a shortened 30-06 mm-hmm. is what they, they ended up doing. Um, pretty much they, all they did was cut the thing about a half inch shorter. The case is almost a half inch shorter, and they just shortened up the ogive on the bullet a little bit. To make and, it work. And instead of having a, a 3.4 inch or 3.340 inch long rifle cartridge, they now have a almost intermediate uh, 2.800 inch long cartridge. That sounds like kind of an ideal sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And stuck with 30 caliber. Yeah. 30 caliber. You got the, the Army Ordnance. I mean, they're, they're stuck in tradition. They're, they're big on 30 caliber. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've kind of already had that complex that you know the 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 war complex going Mm -hmm. making 30 caliber bullets so and obviously they're effective so probably no no reason to to go away from that which makes sense and when so that was post-world war ii and we see that development for the military when did this become available to the to the you and me of the era yep so you have nato finally adopted this cartridge uh they decided hey if the U.S. is going with this cartridge, we need to go with what the U.S. is doing. Uh, so that would have been about 1954, I do believe, is when NATO adopted the, the 7.62. But a few years previously, in 1952, Winchester brought it to the commercial market. Oh, so it was commercially available mm-hmm. before it was yep. adopted by NATO. Yep. Uh, That's a, interesting. A great part about, about developing a cartridge, uh, even if you're doing it for the military, is you can look at a commercial side of things. You know, How can we advance this? So for what the military needs, and then maybe go a little beyond that for, for different applications in the commercial market. That's interesting. So 
wonder if that clouded anything up at the time, you know, because now we we're faced with 762 by 51 versus through eight Winchester. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference there? And yeah, maybe we should, I don't know what your plan of attack here is, but maybe that's a good time to bring that up because if the commercial market was using the cartridge in 1952, what happened between 1952 and 1954 uh, as far as development goes? Mm -hmm. As as far as you know, developing it into a, a sporting cartridge, you're not any more li limited to the military rifles. So military rifles, they're, they're semi-automatic rifles, they're fully automatic machine guns, mm -hmm. and they take a lot of wear and tear. So they establish a maximum loading pressure that you're only going to, you know, you're not going to exceed this for reasons of both just wear and tear on the weapons. And then you have climatic conditioning where uh, you need to give yourself a little bit of a buffer between a cold temperature and then a really hot temperature and make sure that in a hot gun, you're not going to shoot hot ammunition and then have a whole bunch of issues there. Yep. So it's, it's kind of limited a little bit more than what you would end up with a commercial line ammo, which you can take a sporting cartridge and you can really boost performance to get a little bit longer, longer range out of it, a little more energy. Mm, that makes sense. So all things equal, juice up the pressure just a little bit, still certainly within reasonable limits, mm -hmm. but just a little bit more compared to what the military is going to load things. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for us today? Uh, Numbers-wise, with the 7.62 NATO ammunition, especially like the M80 ball, which is about the most popular and the, the most commonly found load for the 7.62 NATO, uh, it's usually about 55,000 PSI is, is the loading limit on that one. You're not usually going to run up to that pressure limit. You want to give that buffer for, for the hot and cold temp uh, oh, requirements. Yeah. Right. Uh, when you get into the Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institutes, when they standard things uh, through their ANSI standardizations, what they're doing is they're going to say, you know what, most guys are going to shoot this stuff at roughly around 70 degrees, maybe not plus or minus more than about 25 degrees. So let's give them a little bit more room on pressure. Uh, with Sammy, what you end up with is you get to boost that pressure limit up to about 62,000 pounds. Mm. And you can gain almost 200 feet per second just by increasing the, the limit on the pressure. pressure. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that, Yeah, the other thing is uh, where we're not stuck making an M60 or an M14 or an M240 gas system. We, we're not stuck with powders that limit us, and we're not stuck with one bullet weight. So right. there's a whole list of other powders that are available on the commercial side that can get maybe more velocity than, than what you would see from a, like what you would, what the type of powder you'd load into M80. Interesting. So from a chamber pressure, there, there was obviously a difference uh, at the time. Uh, from a dimension standpoint, tolerances on lengths and diameters, was there any meaningful differences there? Headspace on those two cartridges is nearly identical. A max spec on NATO is the headspace spec on a SAMI spec chamber. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of difference there. Maybe a little bit tighter chamber on that 7.62, but they could always cut them deeper. You, you just kind of got to know what you got. Yeah. So as far as shooting a, a 308 Winchester round in a, a 7.62 NATO chamber, you're more or less good to go. The, the thing that kind of saves you, which is the same thing between, you know, you have the controversy of the 223 Remington and the 5.56 millimeter. Right. Is the 5.56 has that longer throat, a little bit more, you know, free bore, a little bit more lead into the rifling. You get the same thing with the 7.62 NATO. The, the 7.62 actually has more free bore, almost a hundred thousandths of an inch. Uh, oh, wow. Before you get the, the commencement of the rifling. So you actually do get a little bit where the bullet's just kind of free floating and, and then around forces in the, in the, engraves in the rifling. Ah, uh, so that kind of you're never really going to encounter a 62,000 psi 308 Winchester commercial load, but on the off chance that you do, you're more or less safe to shoot it in a, in a gun that's that's spec for 7.62 NATO. Okay, well that's good to know. But the pressure limit is definitely 
something to be noted. And again, mm-hmm. 200 feet per second with 7,000 pounds of max average pressure. And like you'd mentioned, Matt, and I know you see this firsthand in the lab, we never load anything to the max average pressure. Mm-hmm. We always give ourselves and the consumer a little bit of a buffer. Yep. Um, so you said Winchester brought this to market commercially in 1952. It, ha- it had to be in the Model 70. Oh, Those absolutely. Both, yeah, yep. I mean, probably that. So, yeah, if you're looking mm-hmm. for an iconic piece of history, a classic Model 70 in 308 Winchester. And really, as far as commercial use goes, anything you want to shoot with it that you would shoot with a 30-06, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so the deer, the elk, antelope, um, such a versatile cartridge. And then you just get rid of some of that recoil from, you know, basically less powder, essentially, right, yeah, compared yeah. to 30-06. And that, that was the goal with, with the 7.62 NATO was to match the ballistics of the 30-06, but with a cartridge that was a half inch shorter by using modern propellant technology. Yeah. That's yeah, win-win all the way around. Yeah, they're, they're pretty close. I think what, like a modern 30-06, you might get a little bit, of, you'll mm-hmm. get a boost yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah. just from having Commercial that 30, much more. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, having that much more powder mm-hmm. room. Yep. But uh, yeah, they're close. It's not, it's not far off. That jump of cutting it down that, sh- that far short and you don't lose a ton. No, and doing that from the yeah from the propellant technology available at the time. You look at uh, powders like the you know, old school powders like IMR thirty thirty one, but IMR forty sixty four. I mean that is just the gold standard now. It's Varget seems to be, but uh, yeah IMR forty sixty four through eight Winchester, hundred sixty five hundred fifty grain match or uh, hunting bullet. What more does a guy want? Yeah. So I probably saw, I would assume relative instant success or do you guys think that because it was compared to the 30-06 and the 30-06 did kind of marginally edge it out you think it was instantly successful or do you think it was a slow burn like our 6.5 Creedmoor was there's probably a bunch of gun writers mm-hmm. calling it a fad for <laughs> 15 years or so yeah yeah and the whole thing about there, there's nothing new under the sun is if you look at a 308 Winchester there's already cartridges like the 7.5 French the uh, 7.5 Swiss that are you almost couldn't tell them apart if you just looked at them Right. Uh, so it's almost existing technology was already there, but it just needed a little bit of marketing to yeah. really set it off. Oh, yeah. I say, besides the rim too, the seven six two by fifty four, those mm-hmm. the body of those two cartridges is very similar in the performance. I mean, it's yeah. is comparable as well. I think the with the Bullet Russian diameter. ones, quite a bit lower chamber pressure. Mm-hmm. But so commercially, it comes out. There's probably people calling it a fad at the time, but people are obviously knocking down animals and loving it. Now you get into the sixties. And we have some more military conflict. What did that cartridge look like use-wise on the ground uh, in the 60s? So as far as the, the early 60s, I mean, you, you still had the, the M14 mm-hmm. was still in, in active service in the, in the military. Uh, the type of fighting that was taking place in, in the 60s where you're doing a lot of these anti-communism campaigns all over the world, where you, you see it in uh, South Africa, the uh, uh, Rhodesia, um, was one where, where the type of fighting really was a lot of jungle-type warfare, and then the Americans in the mid-60s ended up in Vietnam, mm-hmm. where when you have these big, long M14 battle rifles with a 22-inch long barrel and a wooden stock, just not ideal for jungle conditions. Right. So, not ideal. Obviously, then you see the introduction in the, the, of the 5.56, and that's used. Now, when we get into military sniping, uh, that cartridge yeah. has almost become synonymous when you think Marine Corps Scout Sniper, my mind goes to 308 Winchester. And maybe yeah. that's because of Carlos Hathcock or, or whatever, you know, and, and it's just where my mind goes. Obviously, the military uses a bunch of different cartridges 
for their sniper applications. But when did the 308 uh, kind of find its own in that world? Because again, not super great for jungle warfare. Uh, and still today you see the M14, well, I say today, in my time in service, the M14, you could, there, it was issued as a DMR type, right. had an optic on it and everything. The uh, M39, I think, right? Once yeah. they yeah, pulled them out and put them into, into a chassis and put a scope yeah, on Yeah, they were cool looking guns. And so, I mean, we kept it as a, you know, light and medium machine gun round all the way through. I mean, it was still the M60 all the way through Vietnam and then the M240. Uh, yeah. Was, it's still being... Still, yeah. still slinging them, which is yeah. great. As far as the sniper application goes, when did that really kick off? Because you got to think the .30-06 had to be a shoe in in yeah. those early, you know, Vietnam days. Yeah. yeah. The early M40s. The early M40s were .30-06 rifle model 70 Winchesters. Uh, they eventually did move on to the Remington 700 in, in the 7.62. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it took off for... You know, for the engagement length, you know, distances you would find in, in that, that era, 7.6 is more than a- adequate. Right. So, yeah, they kind of figured an 800, 800 meter effective range, and that's really, that fit the bill, and that that kind of stuck and, and stayed into the, and I don't know, when, with the M24 development, when was that? M24 was the mid-80s. The, yeah. the Army used the M21, which is a, a scoped version of the M14. You know, okay. Clear up to the M4, or M24, replaced it. Wow. And that was also, yeah, in 762. Out here, you may only get one chance. So never compromise at any distance. Match accurate ELDX bullets, highest BCs, flat trajectories, and unparalleled terminal performance at all practical ranges. Precision Hunter ammunition from Hornady. You got to think that some of the just the efficiency of the cartridge helped play into its military use as a as a sniping round. You know, when you look at the thirty out six, you got that big, tall, skinny powder column, that which is fine. But by going to the three weight Winchester or the seven six two by fifty one case size, case size, you can go a little bit faster in your burn speed. You get into that forty sixty four powder window. Uh, Plus that case shape, it's just very efficient and versatile. Yep. You, don't, you don't have to burn a ton of powder to get appreciable ballistics. Yep, and I think there's a. It's not hard to get a 308 to shoot pretty well, uh, especially like you said with the 4064, 4895, and now with like Varget, you know, stuff like that. That it's it's not a difficult cartridge to get to shoot well. Right. Um, and so then you see, yeah, like the development. Um, between like match shooters and, and the sniping programs, you know, you see the adoption of uh, like the 168 and the 175 grain match bullets and, and that extended the capability even further. And yeah, made it pretty like viable. Um, and, you know, like we joke around that the 6.5 Creedmoor, you know, blows the pants off of it, you know, but it's, and it, it is an incremental improvement, but mm-hmm. yeah, you, you still have a very effective cartridge there out to those distances 800 maybe a thousand meters where yeah you know it's not yeah it's more you know it, it's got a it's slower and it takes a while to get there but it's still very effective at those distances yep yep i would say for the average field shooter you know it's been said that you know 800 meters is kind of the effective range i would argue that you'd probably for hit probability sake probably need to choke that up to maybe closer to 600 but it is effective at 800 and you can shoot it to a thousand and there's been some even more modern advancements in bullets yeah. and propellant yeah. technology and that range now range finders are probably yeah. the biggest thing but yeah once you have the the ballistic calculators and the range finders that we got today 
Yeah. It yeah. extends the effective range of everything way further than it used to be. Yeah. So, you know, we're in 2023, we're rewinding the clock now 40 years to get to where the M24, like you said, was developed in the, in the mid eighties. That's remarkable. What was the, what would that system look like for those listening that aren't familiar with that system? So when you have the, the M24, you have yeah. a Remington. Or excuse uh, me, I it's, said it's M40. A, oh, yep. Uh, M40, very similar. I mean, yeah. That was the, the Marine version, which was a short action, Remington 700. The, the M24 is a long action. Uh, the Army had big dreams of, we're going to develop this sniper rifle. It's going to be 30 out 6 but we could also make it a 300 Win Mag, or we could make it a 7.62. Uh, they settled on just doing the 7.62, and it was a, a big varmint contour uh, barrel on there. Uh, nice black HS precision stock. You know, it was a, it's a great rifle. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had one for years. Uh, eventually kind of got tired of 308 and had to move it up to 300 PRC when that became a thing. But, yeah. but no, it's a great rifle to shoot. I don't think it's the best rifle to carry. Right. You know, it's a 13-pound behemoth with a fixed 10-power loophole on, stop, on top that is just in 1987, I'm sure that was the cat's pajamas. Yeah, but, uh, mill dot reticle with MOA yep. turret. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and, and so again, you said the the Marine Corps has a very similar M40 short mm-hmm. action. Yep, still on the 700 platform. Yep, yep, that was a short action with a 25 inch barrel and it had a McMillan fiberglass stock on it. Oh, nice. And, and uh, it had a couple advancements. Uh, I think they're up to A6, and then they finally changed calibers. Yeah, well, that's great though when you think about that. That in the 80s. There was that huge uh, uh, use case for, uh, you know, the military sniping community and then the law enforcement sniping community, I'm guessing, soon to follow. Mm-hmm. And uh, that fast forward several decades and you're in 2023 and there are still people training in the military today, going through sniper school, shooting the 7.62 by 51. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a, like even mid 2000s when i got into long range shooting like first started dabbling into it that was that was what you did you got a 308 i mean there was guys that were shooting 260s and you know whatever else like custom stuff but it wasn't wasn't near as prevalent as as it is now you know and the and the, the creedmoor really kind of blew up that the yeah. whole 65 and then the later the 6 craze for the match shooters but um yeah 308 was like the go-to long range cartridge there was tons of ballistic info out there if you use yeah. you know standard bullets and whatever like there was there was a lot of information out there that was kind of the easy button was to get started with a 308. And so, yeah, I think, and in fact, I think that was the first centerfire cartridge I ever fired was. Really? Yeah. First, first deer was taken with a 308 and yeah, first centerfire cartridge. And then, yeah, my first match gun was, was yeah. built up in a 308. Well, and, and for me personally, like I, I alluded to at the beginning, you know, my first long range shot was with my dad's 308 Winchester and a milk jug in a hayfield. And I could take you to the hayfield right now and. Remember what direction we were facing and everything. And at the time, it was just something that was really cool, but I didn't know that it would spur kind of this passion for long range that by the time I was able to get into competitive shooting, you know, field style PRS, well, this is kind of right at the beginning of PRS, but field style matches, mm-hmm. it wasn't even a second thought. I'm building a gun, I'm building a 308 Winchester. Right. And the 6.5 Creedmoor had already been around uh, for a few years at that point, but I still built a 308 Winchester and I'm glad that I did because it, it because it has a little more recoil than some of the you know the new 6.5s and 6s a lot of those fundamentals you, you really have to apply them yeah yeah the follow through the trigger control you really have to apply those uh to make good impacts at range and yeah one in 10 twists and I'll tell you what 
the 168 grain and 175 slash 178 grain bullets. If you've got a match bullet in one of those two weight categories and Varget or IMR4064, 4895, even IMR3031, you know, more traditional, mm -hmm. uh, Shooter's World Precision is another really popular one. If you can't get your gun to shoot with those combinations, it's broken. Right. Because that just simply works. And Matt, I know you see this in the lab every day. You know, we're, we're pumping out ammo as fast as we can with as high of a quality as we can. We're loading 308 Winchester around the clock in a variety of SKUs. And one of those staples that just seems to be running all the time, whenever I check the production schedule, 168 grain, whether that be boat to hollow point or ELD match or something along those lines, it's just always running. And speak to us a little bit about, obviously you've been in the lab for a long time. You've seen a ton of rounds come through. It seems like press operator sets up the press, hits the go button, and the stuff just plain shoots. Pressure, velocity, accuracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never fight the 308. It seems like it's just, it's one of those easy button type cartridges to load. Um, it doesn't matter what bullet we're loading. If you're doing the 150 grain spire point, clear up to the 168 grain match load, it's just as easy to get the thing to shoot. Uh, we never really have any issues with with the uh, excessive pressure. I mean, we run that thing pretty moderate. Modest, we're get, yeah. yeah, we have no trouble getting velocity spec. In industry industry spec velocity, we don't load them light. You know, we're, we're right up there with everybody else getting the performance we can out of them. And we just, they just shoot. Barrel life on them is great. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't fight the 308s. It's nice. So uh, years ago, uh, Hornady had a underground ballistics labs. We still do. And it did pressure and velocity testing down there and also accuracy testing. Right now, it's exclusively used for accuracy testing. And when you were down there, I, I remember, you might not know this, and i sorry to just bring this on you. I remember early on in my career at Hornady, there was a 308 Winchester barrel that was basically a, a hollow tube that the, like you guys kept it around out of out of uh, novelty mm -hmm. and it just shot lights out that was the nice thing about those yeah we had one uh, we had one that just sat on the wall it wasn't we didn't even put it away in the drawers with the with what we would consider a good barrel mm -hmm. um it would get to be that if we had our, our normal production barrels and we couldn't get a bullet to shoot we'd pull that one off the wall and shoot it just to acid check just to the try it. Or the bullet. And, yeah. and every once in a while it would pull it off that's you awesome know, we would we would get some groups out of that thing yeah, and I, I don't remember the round count, but it was uh, it was five digits. I mean, it's 10 or 11, 12,000 rounds or something. It's it's not hard to put a lot of rounds on an accuracy barrel. Yeah. You know, just, just testing bullets all day long, but uh, it, they come around. I mean, they, they seem yeah. like they, they start to shoot, and then they don't quit until they're done. Yeah, that's awesome. And now, obviously, we have way more tight mm -hmm. uh, round counts on yeah. our barrels. Uh, typically, even on a through at Winchester, we'll pull that thing between 1,000, mm -hmm. maybe 1,200 rounds or something. Yeah. But that was really cool. I just, mm -hmm. yeah, you put a borescope in there and there was just like, where there was supposed to be rifling, there was only a ghost town of what used to be rifling. Yep. And then halfway down yep. the barrel, it'd pick back yeah. up. As far as precision testing, you can get away with that. You can have a high round count barrel that still shoots. We can't do that with a, with a pressure and velocity barrel. Right. Uh, because it, it's stuck to those uh, it's tolerances it has to maintain. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, accuracy barrel, when you get a good one, you keep it, you hang on to it. Yeah. And that just goes to say, I mean, you you want to get a practice cartridge to learn long range, you know, and it has such the history. And, and like I said, when I was growing up, that just, that was the round, like, oh my gosh, I don't know what they put inside it to make it so awesome, but it's just amazing. Yep. And then, you know, you learn more about ballistics and, and, you know, you kind of develop a little bit better uh, thought of what it actually is, but it's so amazing. You get that cartridge, you build a gun in it, then you can put thousands of rounds of oh, yeah. training on it. Yeah, you can get 
I mean, reliably five to 8,000 rounds of, of accurate barrel life on, yep. on a 308. And it is great because you got lower BC bullets compared to like the sixes and the six fives and you got right. lower velocity and you got more recoil. So as far as a trainer and teaching you to handle recoil, read, read the wind, uh, get your range estimation or get, you know, verify, you know, dope and stuff like that. It's an excellent trainer because it is, yeah, it's, it'll still get there, but it, it's a little bit harder and it forces you to really dial in your skills, you know, yeah. to make it, to make it consistent hits, you know, at those really long distances that for a six or a six, five is like, Oh yeah, just kind of plug and play. You know, yeah. this is a little, takes a little bit more thought. Right. Um, and if you can, so if you can purposeful. do it with a 308, then you can really hammer it down when you go back to a 6.5 or a 6 millimeter. Yeah, and there's a lot of people in our space that train with the 308. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have a 22 trainer and or a 308 trainer and then their match rifle. And that kind of leads us into a good point here. So we talked mainly about the development of the 308 Winchester 762 by 51 and kind of its military use. Obviously, the machine guns are one thing, but it's kind of its precision aspect, you know, with the sniping community and the law enforcement sniping community, which is still widely popular there as well. Kind of the next aspect of its life is match shooting. Because you've, I mean, you've seen 308 Winchester national matches, Palma, mm-hmm. FTR. Uh, you still, PRS has a specific division for it. Right. Um, it's kind of a prolific match cartridge. Do you guys think, or maybe you know some history on it, when it started to really get adopted into those match circles, have to. I would assume it started with with military high power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say fifty sixties mm-hmm. sometime in there. I yep. mean, yeah. Whenever that, whenever these teams would would stop shooting the M1 and move on to the the M14, you know, that's that's when that would really take off. And yeah. I'm, as as soon as that, you got these guys shooting an M14, you're not gonna want to shoot an M1. Then you're, yeah, yep. so this is just a progressive yep. cycle. And in all through the 90s, you had the M14 was dominating high power. You know, everybody at Camp Perry was shooting an M1A or an M14 uh, right up till the 5.56 took off. And then, you know, everybody saw the benefit of the lower lower recoil. Sure. Yeah, but in, in the 90s, yeah, the, the matches that went on at Camp Perry, that, that was a mm-hmm. huge time. And in the early 2000s, even huge time uh, for that, for those specific type of sports mm-hmm. in the 308, like you said, it, People just loved it. And the 168 grain match bullets that are available that were popular or still are popular. They buck the wind really well. Moderate recoil for the cartridge and they just plumb shoot. Well, I don't know, we said it a bunch of times, but my gosh, 168 grain match bullet of any variety in a 308 and it's probably going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, I actually shot at uh, Camp Perry with a match M1A and I did terribly. <laughs> uh, you really, you got the guys that you have the, you know, the real true competitors, they want to win. They're, they're shooting a five, five, six. You have the guys that just want to have fun, you know, beat themselves up a little bit. They're out there with an M14. Yeah. And, uh, that was me. Yep. Well, our senior ballistic scientist, Dave Emery, um, mm-hmm. I know he was big into the, the matches at Camp Perry and you go into his office and he had a lot of uh, awards on mm-hmm. display. I don't know if he ever shot. 308s, but I would assume in, I with assume his he, background that he yeah, would probably he shot had. either uh, an M1A or an M, M1 Garand, but he, he made the President's 100 with a 30 caliber. Yeah. So that's that's pretty pretty distinguished. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty okay shot and mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty okay competitor. So then, you know, you see Palma, for example, or FTR, uh, where it's basically exclusively 308 Winchester. Right. And, and for a lot of those same reasons that we've already talked about, just efficient, you don't have to, you know, the type of powder, there's a bunch of them on the market that just simply work well, the quality of the match bullets, uh, and they would go exceptionally long barrels just to get the added velocity. 
you start putting added barrel length on the 308 Winchester, you're right there with the 30-06, even with today's standards and modern propellants. Mm -hmm. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah, you add, add that extra barrel length. That's, yep. that's the only way. Yeah, the only way to get free velocity, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we guess. used to load a Palma match load. The 8095 PM. Oh, you remember the part remember number. There, yep. We loaded that quite a bit. Uh, yeah, we, we loaded that for the Palma matches, and, and they shot it in one of the international matches, and then uh, we we added that to our product lineup. You know, it was it was pretty it was popular for the, for the Vulcans, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that was 155-grain bullets, mm -hmm. kind of, yep. I think it's yep. what it you have to use. Yep, Can't, you have I'm to use 155-grain. I'm familiar with Palma. Yep, yep. Palma, I think it's a, it has to be a, a 308. Uh, I don't know when they stopped using 30-06, but they, they required 308. 155-grain uh, bullet, and I think at the time it was an SMK, but... Uh, we we came on board and, and we loaded some Amax ammo, you know, ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah, it's been was. a while. Yep, and that was great ammo. Mm -hmm. I had some uh, in my early career shoot when I still yep. shoot three at mm -hmm. Winchester, and that stuff straight shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I opted personally to go with the 178 grain bullet just to get a little bit better in the wind. But uh, yeah, that Palma Match factory ammo that was good stuff, mm -hmm. uh, outstanding. So at Palma FTR, obviously that's popular doubt there's anybody shooting it in straight up f class but ftr obviously it's popular there and then now you see precision rifle series uh back when nrl was still doing the two-day you know field style matches they have a complete division right just for what they call tactical which is 223 and 308 winchester and i'll tell you what the nut behind the bolt is always the most critical factor and there are some people shooting tactical with 308 winchester that shoot and beat a lot of people that are shooting the sixes and the six fives, oh, yeah. and I know you've seen it. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, it's it's the shooters. Shooters more important than the cartridge in a lot of up to up to a certain point in a lot of respects. Um, and like we said, you know, three eight will still definitely make it to the same all those distances that we're still shooting at. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's pretty impressive too to me, like the the range of bullet weights that you can put into a thirty caliber and the three weights, no exception there. I mean, you got everything down from around a hundred grains up to over two hundred, two hundred and. 20 i mean you start really choking the 308 and you get really really slow velocity at that point but right yeah effectively you can use 110 to 180 or even up to around 200 grains especially if you throw them out a little bit and get the bullet out of the case i mean it's yeah you got a really wide range of of application just on so if you want to go shoot prairie dogs or coyotes or yeah. deer all the way up to yeah a lot of the bigger yeah. game the 308 will still handle it that's awesome well, and that that kind of shifts gears into kind of the the third portion if you will of the 308 winchester you have its development you have the the military aspect the sniping community you have it used in matches and then what it's probably used most for today is just hunting in north america or hunting yeah. anywhere in the world yeah. and like you said you've got these huge variety of bullets and again for me personally i had that 308 winchester that i built right out of the gate to start competing with and i shot 178 grain bullets well i had a load using benchmark uh powder from Hodgdon. And our 110 grain VMAX that just shot bullet on top of bullet on top of bullet as many times as you wanted to pull the trigger. Uh, flat based. And I never shot any prairie dogs with it. That was always my intention was to go out and uh, shoot a coyote or or shoot uh, prairie dogs with it. Yeah. But it was that super fast considering such a light bullet. Right. Just did phenomenal. I love that little 110 grain bullet. No recoil. That was great. And then likewise shot all the way up to 178 grain bullets well for the hunter there is yeah like you mentioned the sky is the limit yeah 
Yeah, you got the varmint stuff if you want to shoot small game. Might be a little much for coyotes if you're trying to keep fur, but it seems mm-hmm. like nobody's buying lately. I don't feel <laughs> like that's a, nobody cares anymore. Yeah, as but, far as coyotes uh, but yeah, if you just want them gone, it'll sure sure mm-hmm. put them down. And then yeah, hogs, deer, elk, even. I mean, yeah, there's you could probably go bigger too if you have the right bullet. Yeah, or, and you limit your your shot window so that it makes sense to what you're doing. But yeah, get into the reloading red zone with reloading tools from Hornady. Innovation, craftsmanship, and reliability. Hornady reloading presses are built with American pride and backed by our legendary no-risk warranty. Hand-load precision with tools from Hornady. Let's talk a little bit about the ammos that that we have to offer because, again, you know, we, we talk about the match ammo. Now in a hunting world, Matt, from going through the lab, you see every skew that's running. It comes through the lab. What do you see from a bullet weight standpoint? And the reason I ask that is our production schedule is demand-driven. So if there's a huge back-order demand for a given bullet weight, you know, we run that a little more often. So I kind of use that as a gauge to what people in the field are actually using. So from a bullet weight standpoint, where do you see the 308 really thriving today? The number one is, is definitely going to be the, the 150 grain spire point. Is, is that's the load for 308 that everybody's buying. It's always selling. And you have, you have season, seasonal matches. You know, number two would be the, the 168 grain ELDM. Yeah. You know, that's a great one too. But that 150 grain Botel, or not Botel, flat base spire point is always selling. Yeah. That's you know, huge. That American whitetail load. Everybody loves it. Everybody buys it. It's, it's so versatile. Yeah. You, you can do anything with it. And I think that's, that's neat to see. Fast forward from 1949, you know, 74 years later, the 150 grain flat base spire point, which started the company, you know, seven decades and change ago, is still being used. And one of our most popular cartridges, it's one of our most popular individual bullets in that cartridge. I'm sure it's probably similar with a 30 out six as well. That same bullet. Yeah, 30 out six. Yeah, 150 grain bullet. I mean, it, it's, really, I would the, have thought the, the 30 out six would be a 165. You would you think know? a heavier bullet, but the, I don't know if it's it's just so deep in tradition. You know, that's what everybody likes. That's what everybody wants. But it's a it's a great load. I mean, it's 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 a great whitetail load. Mm-hmm. You know, you might want to go a little heavier if you're going to shoot an elk or or something a larger size, but it'll get it done. I mean, it's a, it's a great bullet. Even It's even good to shoot. I mean, I would rather shoot a spire point than a full metal jacket. Just you get a little bit more accuracy and it's, and just, you have it on hand for, for whatever might come. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, and yeah, the 150 green bullet in a 308, you get all the velocity that the 308 should be getting because it's a little bit lighter bullet and then super that's, easy yeah, to be that's accurate. That's the weight range it was designed for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, exactly. That's uh, really fits. And then the versatility that we talked about Man, you want to talk about versatility. Wow. 165 grain bullets. Okay. Super. You can handle those no problem for hunting. That kind of opens you up a little bit. Going to get a little bit more BC over 150 grain bullets. So for, you know, plains game like, you know, antelope or mule deer where the shot distances tend to be a little bit further, you got that option. And you can bump up even further to 178 grain bullet, which for me, I really thought the 308 in the world of precision, really thrived with that weight class because you still got appreciable velocity. You know, most 24-inch barrels are going to run a 178-grain bullet right at 2,600 feet per second. So you got plenty of velocity to make the bullets work. And then you get a really efficient bullet for as light as it is. You know, those 178 ELDXs in our precision hunter load, 
Uh, if you're yeah out there, African Plains game, would be a great load option. Same thing with uh, uh, with the American, you know, hunting the West where you're shooting maybe across the canyon. That that's just awesome. And then you shift it into overdrive. If you're a hand loader, you've got 180 grain bullets. You've got 200 grain bullets. You've got a 220 grain round nose. You know, <laughs> if you're really into being a traditionalist, you really have such a wide variety of options there. And then that last and final gear in the world of hunting, introduce new bullet technology. You know, you know, you were going to use 150 grain interlock for whitetail. Well, now you've got 150 or 165 grain bullet that you can use on elk with our CX. Mm-hmm. Really expanded the versatility there. And uh, you really don't sacrifice anything going to the monolithic bullet. You really don't. And, yeah. and uh, not so much in, in the lab we work in now, uh, developing ammo. Uh, we used to work in the in the bullet lab, and that's where I would test every new lot of the GMX bullets. We'd have to test for expansion, and that's just incredible seeing how how those expand and yeah. how they hold up the weight retention, the penetration on them. It's always been just kind of amazing. You know, we would shoot spire points, we'd shoot SSTs, and those are designed, you know, to deform, and and you're going to lose some some weight. You know, you're going to lose some lead, you're going to lose some you know bits of jacket, but at GMX you get 99% you know retention on yeah. your weight for most part but you because the bullets are light for you know I mean for length they're yeah. they're they're kind of light but you don't lose any penetration you gain penetration yeah. in a lot of cases yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of people think a lighter bullet you're going to get less penetration but that's not true with the GMX yeah and now the CX mm-hmm. oh the CX yeah yeah yep, yeah and the CX you mentioned doing the testing on what what at the time was the GMX mm-hmm. that still goes on we still test our CX bullets for expansion on every new lot at a high velocity and a low velocity. Uh, depending mm-hmm. on the caliber, the high velocity changes, but the low velocity is usually right around 2,000 to 2,100 feet per second of impact speed. So those get tested all the time. And like you said, they're light for their length, and generally they're light for caliber. But because of their material, you get all the weight retention, you get all the penetration, and it really adds just another value to a given cartridge and in this mm-hmm. case the 308 winchester now it's that much more capable of the bigger game like elk or uh eland or kudu or some of those zebra for example on the on the african plains um you can literally take this thing anywhere in the world and that's another thing in the hunting aspects there's 308 winchester ammo everywhere yeah i don't think you could probably find a place that sells ammunition anywhere in the world mm-hmm. that won't have a shelf space for 308. I would assume every every company that makes ammunition, every every government arsenal across the world, you know, makes 762 NATO or 308 Winchester. Yeah, it really adds to its value. You know, there's there's a there should be a, a, a spot in every gun safe for a 308 Winchester because you very likely will never have a time where there isn't ammo being produced for that cartridge, and then you throw in the versatility, and it's kind yeah. of a kind of a no brainer. Yeah, I would say this. It is not antiquated, you know, with all the new stuff and all the cartridges that we're releasing too, you know. I mean, we have 6.5 Creedmoor is probably the one that gets the most uh, most talk uh, in comparison to the 308. And it certainly is edging it out in performance in a lot of areas. But the 308 is still just as valid today, right. I think, as it was ever. Yeah, it's definitely definitely the jack of all trades of the short action standard bolt face cartridges. I mean... You shift things around a little bit, you know, with bullet weights or whatever, but there's things that a 308 can do that a 6.5 just can't just because you can't get enough bullet in there in a mm-hmm. 6.5 diameter. Yep. So super versatile. That's a great way to put it, Miles. The jack of all trades for the short action cartridges. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that is worthwhile. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we're spanning, gosh, seventy some years, right? Of of uh, of performance, right? And versatility, and it's standing on its own two legs. There's no marketing machine propping this up. It's popular for a reason. Every gun out there seems to, you know, you can buy pretty much any rifle chambered in a 308 Winchester, and I right. think that's a testament to its versatility. Use it for matches. Use it for sniping. Use it for hunting. Use it for all of them. Great option out there. Yep. Well, guys, is there anything else that you would like our listener to take away from this podcast? Focus specifically on the 308 Winchester. Any closing statements? No, other than what you already said, is it's not going away. Yeah. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's it's here to stay. It's established. Probably everybody in here has a three hundred eight Winchester. Has had a three hundred eight Winchester, and or five or a, six or five. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> two. Yeah. Awesome, Miles. Anything else? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, that's uh, it. Ain't going nowhere. Right. It's a solid cartridge. You heard it here first. Six five Creedmoor America's cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> no, the three hundred eight. A, a soft spot for all of us. I mean. I think all of us have, since we're all similar in age, we have that vision of what the 308, the way we perceived it in the time frame where we grew up, where it's just accurate, it's efficient, it's all the snipers use it, it's got to be great for long range, and it does a lot of things well, and there's probably no better compliment than that, yeah. and that it does a lot of things really well. Yep. And I think no matter, even if there are better long range match cartridges available today, the, the 0 to 300 yard hunting world that is most of what happens in North America probably all over the place honestly mm-hmm. it's uh still the energy delivery um that you get out of the 308 uh, you're you can you know get in the same ballpark but not like a clear like oh yeah this is obviously better I mean it's, yeah. yeah out of a short action cartridge it, other than going to the the PRCs or the short mags or something like that I mean it's it's doing it and it's doing it well there's you're gonna you're going to take anything from small to big game, no problem with that cartridge. Yeah, awesome. Well, the 308 Winchester, not going anywhere, incredibly versatile. One that we're loading thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rounds of ammunition in a given day. Uh, that stuff is is as in demand as it ever was. And I appreciate you guys taking some time and, and talking the 308 Winchester today. I know we didn't really have a game plan. We were just talking. 308 but i appreciate you guys coming on the show yeah no no problem problem. this is good awesome well we'll have you guys back on the show guys hopefully you enjoyed this podcast on 308 day the 308 winchester still a veritable force to be reckoned with in the hunting world the sniping world and the match world we hope you enjoyed it we'll catch you on the next one